Hi Court Hackers, I'm Stephen Mather, organisational psychologist and ex-member of a high control group and one of the hosts on the podcast called Hackers. So today is a bonus episode. A few months ago I played around with launching a scripted podcast called Cults on Film where I explore a movie through a cult lens. As I should have known, trying to manage and record content for two podcasts was just too time-consuming for me, especially as I started to get busy with the day job. So I've decided to incorporate this short series into our Cult Hackers podcast as a midweek bonus every so often. And the first of these is a short episode about the movie Star Trek First Contact, featuring the Borg. I really hope you like it and do let us know if you enjoy this type of content which is a bit different from our normal fare. This week we're looking at Star Trek First Contact. The 1996 film was directed by Jonathan Frakes who also starred as Commander Will Riker alongside Patrick Stewart as Captain Jean-Luc Picard. And this was the second movie to feature the crew of the TV series Star Trek Next Generation. The story features one of Star Trek's most recognisable baddies and one of my favourites, the Borg. The Borg are a cyborg race who expand across the galaxy, assimilating whole peoples and cultures already been introduced to Star Trek audiences during the TV series, so the appearance of a Borg cube, which is the distinctive shape of the spaceship approaching Earth, was understood by audiences as an undeniably bad thing. But the Borg weren't interested in a direct confrontation. Sneakily, their plan was to go back in time and disrupt humanity's history so as to inhibit their development of warp technology. It would also stop them meeting the Vulcans, leaving them easy pickings for Borg conquest later on. Of course, the crew of the Enterprise are the only ones who can hitch a ride on the Borg ship's temporal wake and follow them down to Earth to 2063. Of course, our future, but their past, which is a few years after the Third World War and nuclear holocaust, which is part of Star Trek lore. So I have to confess Star Trek in all its forms has always been a a real favourite of mine since I was a child watching the original series. And I do credit Star Trek and other sci-fi films and television as providing me a worldview or an alternative worldview to the cult one that I was raised in. And I think it helped me when I later on as an adult started to move away. Star Trek First Contact is, in my view, one of the better movies. I always enjoy a good time travel romp and the introduction of Lily, played by Alfred Woodard, who's a straight talking 21st century woman and friend of soon to become legendary Zephyrin Cochran, I thought was a real breath of fresh air. She was great. In fact, my favourite scene of the whole movie is her standing up to Jean-Luc Picard when it becomes obvious that his pain and the need for revenge has destroyed his sound decision-making, as well as his willingness to listen to his crew. Her willingness to challenge what she sees as emotional stubbornness contrasts with the crew, who are so conditioned to obey the orders of their captain that they're willing to sacrifice their lives and everything else just to stay obedient. 
The crew's willingness to follow the orders of the leader, regardless of its probity, is one of the many features of this film that addresses questions of coercive control and cult life. Of course, the most obvious cult metaphor is the Borg themselves. Linked to a hive mind, each Borg has lost its individuality, consumed by the collective. It no longer is concerned with its individual body. It has no ambition, no thirst for individual experience, for personal pleasure. It has no fear of individual death, no need for self-development. I can imagine looking into the eyes of the Borg is like peering into a black hole, an existence without personal autonomy, or even the need for it. To my mind, what's so terrifying about the Borg, though, is that each member of the collective each being was once an individual, assimilated from thousands of different galactic races. Each individual Borg was once a humanoid with hopes and dreams, with worries and insecurities. I imagine before they were assimilated, they had their own culture, their own way of looking at the world. Each member of the Borg collective would have been born with a family, would have had friends. Maybe they'd fallen in love. Maybe they'd had their heart broken, have regretted something they said or did, and would have achieved something that they were proud of. And that's all gone now. Now they're part of the collective. It's no surprise to me that many ex-cult members talk about their former group or religion as the Borg. Uh, The parallels are stunningly clear. To varying degrees, of course, depending upon the group, members experience a sort of assimilation process into the collective the cult of course the borg assimilation process is very violent with tubes being inserted into the flesh containing millions of nanites microscopic machines that enter the body and rapidly transform the individual reshaping them both physically and mentally Okay, so it's not as brutal for most cult members, but assimilation can be painful and be a difficult process. Unlike the Borg assimilation process, the initial phases of cult recruitment normally feels quite pleasurable. There's no love bombing in the Borg, but there is within cults. Within a fairly short time though, uncomfortable truths may start to be revealed about what you've got to do, what you've got to believe, what you've got to accept in order to become part of the group. You could say that the ideas and doctrines get under the skin and begin to rewire the individual's thinking. The need to separate oneself from former friends and family is often, if not demanded, and to be frank, sometimes it is demanded, strongly encouraged. The ditching of cultural practices is also part of the assimilation process. The new recruits might stop celebrating cultural holidays and festivals. They reduce and then stop associating with former friends, maybe missing important moments, not turning up to celebrate a birthday or a christening. The newly assimilated person may also start to look different. They may dress differently. Any distinguishing styles of dress or personal preferences may start to disappear or at least be watered down. Long hair on a man gets cut neatly. He shaves off his scruffy beard. 
or is forced to grow one, maybe, depending on the group. A woman's hemline often starts to descend as her neckline ascends. Tattoos are covered up in shame. Or maybe a new type of clothing is required, one that completely sets the person apart from the rest of society, but brands them as part of the group. Oh, and uh, talking of branding, maybe a physical and permanent mark is required as a way to identify the individual as one of the collective. So individuality is sacrificed to fit in with the rest of the group. And in part, this forms as a symbol of submission and commitment. This processing can be distressing to former friends and family who observe that the person they knew starts to be subsumed into a collective and become someone they don't even recognise. Okay, maybe not all of the changes are bad, but they begin to transform the individual into something unrecognisable. In first contacts, Captain Picard fights the Borg's attempt to take over the Enterprise, but he appears merciless as he cuts down former members of his own crew, who are now part of the collective, much to the horror of Lily. Picard's fury, Lily realises, is because he himself is a former member. He had also been assimilated, but through the extraordinary efforts of his crew, had been recovered and brought back to his former self. What seems like a contradictory argument with Lily, as she questions him about his brutality, Picard claims that he's doing them a service, that they're gone. It's an act of mercy. Leaving a high control or coercive cultic group is difficult. Anger is a very real part of the process. At the beginning of the movie, we see how Picard still suffers from nightmares about his time with the Borg, including what he did when he was part of the collective. I think this too can be a source of anger and regret for ex-members. Maybe having brought someone along, introduced them to the group, being responsible for their recruitment, all these things can induce a retching feeling of remorse leading to anger. A feeling of a need to attack the former group is completely natural and to some degree may serve a purpose. Picard's insight and knowledge of the Borg provides useful intelligence and gives him an edge. But as Lily implies, the line between revenge and legitimate anger can be a fine one. Okay, I'm going to take a slight detour for a moment from the movie and talk about the series Star Trek Voyager. In that series, a Borg is separated from the collective. She's called Seven of Nine, tertiary adjunct of Unimatrix 01. Seven of Nine for short. At first, when she's separated, she's beside herself with fear and confusion because gone are the reassuring voices in her head of the collective. And gone is her purpose in life, to seek perfection through assimilation. Gone is a sense of a social self, which was one entirely defined by the collective. Her disorientation is such that she still refers to herself as we and us. She says things like, Why are you holding us captive? We need to be released, and so on. For many cult members, their sense of individuality is so compromised that they seem unable to express their own thoughts and ideas. They repeat the phrases programmed into them, often acting 
has thought-stopping mechanisms. Seven of Nine's story arc throughout the series and into the new Star Trek series, Picard, is really about her journey out of that collective and her discovery that she is an individual, although part of a social world. I think key and most interesting about Seven of Nine is that she was assimilated at a very young age, as a young child, which I think addresses another cult question relating to the recovery of born-in members or those raised as children within the group. When Picard was rescued from the Borg Collective, he already had a strong identity and a sense of self to return to. (laughs) He's Captain Picard of the Starship Enterprise. I think Seven's journey is arguably harder as she struggles to come to terms with who she is, including her values and even her sexuality. Okay, so let's get back to Star Trek First Contact. The finale of the film wraps up the two parts of the story, with Commander Riker and his team ensuring the timeline stays pure by supporting Zephyrin Cochrane in his first faster-than-light warp speed test, and Picard and Data dealing with the Borg Queen. So the Borg Queen is really interesting. I think the Borg Queen is analogous to the leadership of a cult. Because despite her words about the collective and the stated philosophy about removal of weak individuality, there is still an individual at the heart of this project. She is willing to sacrifice individual Borg to further her own ends. It's her own agenda she's focusing on. Her pious words about the collective and the search for perfection are revealed to be nothing more than hollow rhetoric she tries to further her own ends by recruiting a highly prized target, Lieutenant Commander Data, and also later as she desperately tries to hang on to life. What I find interesting is ultimately she's not as fearsome a figure as we had once believed, and her defeat comes just as every other cult leader's eventually does, pathetically, and with the sadness of the observer, a shake of the head and words close to pity, as Lieutenant Commander Data stands over the remaining parts of what was once a unique and powerful enemy. 